9 a.m. I don't feel like they got my jokes. So 11 a.m., this is time for you to redeem some stuff. Uh, I, I'm going to give two jokes. My wife's worried because of the one joke I told because it wasn't going to be televised. Uh, but I thought it was hilarious. And I'm still praying about whether or not to share that joke with you guys. Uh, but anyway, there, this guy, this shopping center was packed, and, and his wife and her husband, they were walking through it, and, and she looked around and, well, couldn't find her husband. He had got kind of lost, and she kind of got frantic. She was upset because they had a lot of shopping to do. And so she got worried about him because she hadn't been able to find him for a while. And so she called him up on, her, on his phone and says, hey, hey, uh, babe, where are you? I'm worried about you, and we've got a lot to do. And he said, hey, do you remember the, the jewelers we went to into about five years ago, and you fell in love with that diamond necklace that we couldn't afford? And I told you that, hey, one day I'll be able to get that to you. The wife choked up and started crying. He said, I do remember that short store. He said, I'm in the game store next to it. All right, I'm going for it. I'm just going to step out in the deep water. My wife's giving me the face. Hey, this man was out doing some Christmas shopping. And, uh, and <laughs> I'm already getting cracked up. This man was out doing some Christmas shopping. And he's going in this store. And you recognize he, he thought, I'm going to go in this store. And he looks over there. He looks in the corner of this store, and there's a parrot over there. And he goes, he said, hey, ask the shop owner, what's the deal with this parrot? He said, oh, that's, that parrot, that's, he's, that's Chet. He said, Chet, what kind of name is that for a parrot? He said, well, it's named after his favorite, uh, favorite country singer, Chet Atkins. He said, that's Chet the parrot. He said, well, what's so special about Chet? He said, let me show you something. So that parrot's in there, the shop owner lights a match, puts it under the right foot of that parrot. Parrot starts singing, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. That's amazing. He says, watch this. He slots, strikes another man, sticks it under the left foot of that parrot. Have a holly, jolly Christmas. And he's like, I'm sold. I'm buying the parrot. And he buys the parrot, takes it home to his wife. His wife is like, I know this ain't my Christmas gift. Babe, this is Chet the parrot. You don't understand how special this parrot is. She said, well, well, let's see what you got. He said, baby, look, look, watch Chet the parrot. She takes a match out, strikes, puts it under that right foot. Chet begins to sing. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all. She's like, okay. He strikes another match, puts it under that left foot. Have a holly jolly Christmas. She says, oh, that's pretty amazing. What would happen if you struck a match and put it under both feet? <laughs> Don't get ahead of me. And I don't know. So he strikes that match, puts it under both feet. He starts singing, Chet's nuts roasting on an open flame. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> Come on. I knew 11 a.m. you were my crowd. <laughs> so. <laughs> All right, let's round this thing back in. <laughs> Woo. Hey, last week we... <laughs> We kicked this series off talking about the names of God. And one of the names that he said was Emmanuel. What does the name Emmanuel mean? God with us. We looked at this. We said, what does that mean? Well, God is with us. It's not a matter if we feel like us. How many know there are times we don't feel like God's with us? 
We can't sense him. We can't hear him. There are no goosebumps. There's nothing. But the fact of the matter is, God is with us. We said this, God was with us. What do you mean? That means there, those times that we didn't feel like God was with us, those times that we couldn't sense him or, or things weren't happening, we couldn't understand them. Now that we're on through life, we can look back on those times and see the hand of God at work in every area and say, yeah, God was with us. And the third one was God will be with us. He will be in the future. And, and we talked about those things, that Emmanuel, God with us. Well, today we're going to talk about a beautiful collision, a beautiful collision. Uh, how many know when you say the word home that it can mean a lot of things to different people, right? This is the word home. Me, when I hear home, I grew up in a great home. I did. My mom and dad were incredible people. Uh, when I think of home when I was a kid, I think of those Christmas mornings, man, when my mom and dad we're, we're, they, they did everything they could just to try to give us stuff. They made it a, a great home. I think of our home when our kids and our grandkids come home for the holidays. It's home. But how many know there are people that home doesn't make them bring up really great memories when they think of home? Home doesn't look like that. Here, let me tell you, Webster's Dictionary defines home like this. The place where one lives or the place where one lives permanently. And there's some people here. Home was wherever you could lay your head to rest, wherever you could find a place to sleep. That was home. Home became the, just the way of life for you, where I'm living, that you, they, you felt trapped, you couldn't get out. Home became that addiction that you were stuck in. Home became that sin, that lifestyle, that poverty mindset, that place you lived. It seemed like a permanent dwelling. I believe this about home. I believe it's also a state of mind. Are oh, you hear me? Because I've seen people and known people that live in million-dollar mansions that have no satisfaction, have no joy. It's always trying to get something else. And then I've been on the mission trip to Mexico where I've seen people living in boxes that it seemed like they had everything they could possibly want. It's a mindset. It's a mindset. And so today I want to look at a man whose home had been a two-by-four mat. It had been his home, his story for more than 38 years. And how many know when you've been in a place, in a mindset for that long, you start to think it's permanent, that nothing is ever going to change. Now, this is not what we would consider a Christmas story per se, but it is a story about coming home and what can happen when your home, what you consider home, has been one of abandonment, one of despair, one of separation from people, one of hopelessness? What happens when that home collides with Jesus? Look at, turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry, I'm going to bring it up on the screen, what Casey calls the Sky Bible. Starting with verse 1. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. The word Bethesda, get it? And here's what it means in the Hebrew language. It means house of mercy, house of grace. In the Aramaic, it can have a double meaning, meaning this, house of shame, house of disgrace. 
One writer, when I was studying about this, said that this dual meaning could have been appropriate since the location could have been seen both as a house of shame and disgrace due to the sickness, the brokenness, the lame people that were there showing up every day, and also a place for mercy and grace because of the healings that took place in the place. I guess it all depended on who you ran into when you were there. I actually, uh, in this trip to Israel I just got back from a couple weeks ago, I actually got to see the Pool of Beth- Bethesda, where, where it was. Archaeologists had uncovered uh, the remains of it. And, and when you study it, it, it was actually two different pools, side by side. And, and the width, they say to, to, to house these two pools would have been the length of a football field. And, and so the... the uh, for lack of a better word, the folklore behind the pool of Bethesda to the people, locals there, was this. That, hey, you hung out by the pool, and there would be an angel that would show up, stir the water. The moment you saw that water bubble, hey, if you got in before anybody else, winter, winter, chicken dinner. You got your healing. It was a done deal. But if you didn't, well, good luck next time. And, and so Jesus is returning to Jerusalem For one of their holy days, he comes to this pool of Bethesda, and here's what Jesus walks right into the middle of. Verse 3. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, lay on the porches. This was home to these people. Many scholars say when it says crowds of sick people, what it means is hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds were gathering there around these two pools trying to get in. They, they, they were putting all their hopes on, hey, stir the water and let me get into the pool. And Jesus walks into this place with hundreds and hundreds of broken people. Here's what you need to understand about Jesus if you're taking notes. It's true of him then and it's true of him now. Jesus always moves towards brokenness, not never away from it always moves towards brokenness. See, Jesus is not, has never been afraid of someone's brokenness. He's never been put off by someone's pain or the mess that their life carries. He's never looked at someone's broken life and thought, well, nothing I can do there. Never, not once. That's what Jesus did on this day. He walks right into the middle of this place full of people that had tried everything else. This was their last hope. And get this, these aren't people that could just walk into Restoration Clinic and get a shot, get something, and go home. These were sick. These were broken. These were lame. These were people that that others, even their family, had given up all hope of anything being different about them. Anybody know what that feels like? Yeah. They're broken. And I love that Jesus takes his young disciples right into the middle of that. Why? Why why would he do that? Because Jesus is always moving toward the broken, never away from it. Always moving toward the pain, toward toward the, the, the addiction, toward the sexual complexity in your life, never away from it. And here Jesus is at the pool of Bethesda with hundreds of sick people, hundreds of broken, broken people waiting to be healed. Now jump down to verse five. We're going to meet the gentleman. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. Can we agree that's a long time to lay there sick? 
almost four decades. He's been laying there. This had become his permanent residence. It had become home to him where he lived. And here, waiting, 38 years. Come on. How many, anybody here say you enjoy waiting? Don't, don't lie because no, nobody likes waiting. Here, here's a statistic show the average person spends close to an hour every day waiting for something or someone. Either waiting at traffic lights, especially if you go through Dayton, Tennessee. You will catch every one of those lights if you catch one. You either experience the grace of God or the torments of hell. It is never anywhere in between. Waiting on elevators, waiting in line at the grocery store, waiting for a table at the restaurant, waiting on the microwave, waiting for your wife or girlfriend. Boy, <laughs> a little low rumblings there. Men inside me were going, oh, Jesus. Mm, mm. But outside they're like, no, I'm not moving. I'm not saying a word. Get this, when you add up all the waiting over a lifespan of 70 years, the average person will spend more than three years of their lives waiting. Waiting. See, we all wait. We all got things we're waiting on. The problem isn't the waiting. It's what's happening in our hearts while we wait. Bring that point up for me, please, Macy. The problem isn't the waiting. It's what's happening in our hearts while we wait. How many know there's some things, there's a couple different things that are going on in us while we wait. And here's the question. While we wait, what are we doing with that time? Are we allowing God to, to prune things off of us that need to be gone? Are we allowing him to do some things inside our hearts, inside of us, that, that, that needs to be dealt with and it can only be dealt with during the waiting? Or are we allowing the enemy to come in and, and breed resentment in us during the waiting? Breed frustration during the waiting or anger. This man's been waiting for 38 years. Don't tell me something had not been grown in his heart over 38 years. Suddenly, out of hundreds and hundreds of people, Jesus begins to move toward him. Him. Why, why this man? What drew Jesus' focus, attention, to this one man? See, many times in the Bible, when people were healed, Jesus was simply responding to their faith. Your faith has made you whole. Your faith has saved you. Can I tell you what? It wasn't this man's faith that drew Jesus to him. This man's faith tank was on E. He had been waiting 38 years. He had pretty much settled the fact this was his life. So what was it? It wasn't his moral character that made you, oh, this guy's a great moral man. Because when you read the story later on, and we'll see, Jesus says, hey, now listen, you're healed. Now stop sinning. Cut it out. Quit sinning. You don't tell somebody that's a great moral person to stop sinning. Like, never, never, never mind. Let's, let's move on. Um, yeah. But it wasn't faith. It was a moral character. What made Jesus look his way? Here's what I think got, this guy, got Jesus' attention. You ever known someone that they don't have to tell you they're hopeless? They don't have to tell you they've pretty much given on, on life. It's written all over them. The way they carry themselves, the way they respond. 
I believe this man didn't have to say anything. I think when Jesus looked at him, he, he saw that's hopelessness. This guy's dealing with a lot of pain, a lot of rejection. And one of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 34, 18, where it says this, The Lord is close to the broken heart, and he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. What does it mean when someone's spirit's crushed? means all the hope has been crushed out of them. It's out of them. There is no hope. And it says Jesus rescues those whose spirits are crushed. He moves toward the brokenness. He moves toward our pain. Those whose spirits are crushed. And here's what I know in a crowd this size and, and people that are watching online, there are people in here with some brokenness in them. Well, what do you mean? I don't know. Maybe it's your marriage. You're just trying to hold it together and get through the holidays. Or maybe your marriage is over and now you're dealing with the aftermath. Whatever the case, you're broken. Maybe you or someone you love just got a bad doctor's report and now you're dealing with that. Maybe you've got a kid that has been making or making some stupid choices in life and it is breaking your heart. I read a post uh, from... Uh, someone that I'm related to and in that post and it was today actually between services she was talking about what it's like to watch an addict and you try to help them and help them and help them and they're your kid but all you can do is watch them make mistake after make mistake after mistake and maybe that's where some of you are you've watched that loved one it's, it's like watching, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. So you carry that brokenness. Or maybe your trust has been broken by someone that you thought you could trust. Whatever it may be, I want you to hear me. Jesus is not moving away from your brokenness. He's moving toward it. Toward it. See, it's not your faith that's causing him to look your way. And don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to downplay the importance of faith, but I am one of those person, people that know what it's like to have faith, but then to get so overwhelmed by what's going on in your life and the mess that's going in your life, you can't see anything but that mess. And I'm so thankful that God moved towards my mess, not because of my great faith, but because he loved me right where I was. He always moves toward our brokenness. Why? Because that's just who he is. Just who he is. Well, Luke 15, man, is this great section uh, where Jesus is telling these uh, three different stories, trying to show them, hey, this is how much God loves the lost. This is how much he's for them. And he tells these three different stories. And one of those is a well-known story about the prodigal son. And, and he talks about, Jesus says, hey, listen, here's the thing about the prodigal son. He's telling them, and they would have understood what it meant when the son came to dad and pretty much said, dad, you're dead to me. Give me what's mine. They understood that. But yet Jesus says, here's the thing you need to know about this father. Every day, there was not a day that did not go by that the father didn't stand out there on that front porch looking out, longing for that son to come back home. In fact, it says this in, in verse 20 of Luke 15. While he, the boy, was still a long way off, his father, what is that? What's those two words? His father what? Saw him. See, I'm convinced there are people in here. You haven't been seen in a very long time. 
you haven't been noticed in a very long time. And maybe it's because you feel like you don't want to be seen because of all the junk that you've got going on in your life. So you hide behind it. But can I tell you today, your father sees you. He sees you from a long way off. And then I love this next part. While he was a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, kissed him. I love this. The father's not worried that the son is filthy. He doesn't care the fact that his son smells like a pigsty and is filthy from head to toe. He's not concerned about decisions his son made in the past or even up to that day. He's not concerned. All he sees is, my son is coming home. I'm not going to wait on him to get here to me. I'm going to run to him. That is a picture of our heavenly father and what he does for us. Man. God's fighting for you. You need to know that. He's on the search for you, longing to let you, to, to, for you to let him into those hidden areas. So if you're hurting, if you're broken, get this, even if you don't know what you believe about God or if you believe in God, he's not even put off by that. That doesn't even turn him away because now you've got his attention and he's standing on the front porch Looking, looking. A couple years ago, I came across a book, well, it's been longer than that. A guy named Brennan, Brennan Manning wrote a book called Ragamuffin Gospel. This book messed with me. Now, I'll tell you this it's not for the super religious because it is very direct. Uh, but Brennan Manning was a priest. As a priest, he became an alcoholic. And then he found himself homeless in Fort Lauderdale living on the streets. He writes about this. He said he remembers one time in particular being homeless there. I was so done in by the world, and I was just full of pain and hurt. And a woman with her young child came walking by where I was sitting. The child left the mom's side to come up to me and get a closer look at this broken, homeless man. The mother then ran up, grabbed the child, and said, Don't be around such filth, and then kicked me in the ribs to the point of breaking two of my ribs. Brennan writes about how the reckless love of God just would not give up on him. That Jesus did not run from this broken priest, this mess of a man, but that Jesus ran toward him. And in his book, The Furious Longing of God, Brennan says this about the love of God. Look at this. 1 John 4.16 says God is love. In human beings, love is a quality, a high-priced virtue. In God, love is his identity. He cannot not love you. Are you hearing me? He is love. It is who he is. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It is who he is. His love is reckless. It is furious, and it does not make sense. Come on. The second thing you need to know and this is crucial for lasting change, is this. If you want God to do a new thing, you can't keep holding on to the old thing. You want God to do something new, you're going to have to let go of some old. The old pain, the old hurt, the old anger, the old friends. I was going to let that hang there. John 5, 6, look at this. When Jesus saw the man and knew he had been ill 
knew, Jesus knew the man had been ill for a long time. He asked him a crazy question. Would you like to get well? Another version says, hey, do you want to be healed? What kind of insane question is that? Do you want, this man's been coming here for 38 years. No, Jesus, actually, I don't want to get healed. Uh, this is just part of my routine. I come here every day. Here's the thing. I believe Jesus was going after something much deeper than this man's lameness, than this man's crippled body. See, here's the thing you need to know about Jesus. He is not just a surface healer. That's what we want, though. We want Jesus to heal the surface things. But those things deep down that are probably the cause of the surface things we need healing, no, Jesus, don't touch that. But Jesus is not just a surface healer. Jesus wants to get under the knee to the real issue. And here's what Jesus knows about this man is this. This man's crippled body is not this man's problem. I'm not sure who said this, but man, the writer nailed it when they wrote this. Nothing is more desirable than to be released from your pain and affliction, but nothing is more frightening than to have to give up your crutch. Let that sink in. Yeah, we all want to be free. We got these things, man, I long for freedom. I long to, well, then give it. I'm used to this. I'm comfortable with this. This is how people know me. What happens to me when I give this up? But if you want the new, you've got to let go of the old. There's a thing also called learned helplessness. What is that? It, it happens when people become conditioned to believe that a situation is unchangeable in their life. That's some of you today. You become conditioned to believe the enemy has said about you. This is just the way it is. Mom and dad were like this. Their mom and dad was like this. This is the way it's always going to be. I'll never, I'll never do anything else in my life. This is just it. This is, I, I've lived with this for 38 years. I've lived with this for three years, however long. And you've been conditioned to think this is just the way it is. But others, it's not the learned helpless. You've gotten real comfortable with your mess, with your crutch. It's become your identity. Are you hearing me? People won't know me if this is not who I am. Jesus asked the man, do you want to be made well? Do you want to get healed? Look at how the man responds. I can't, sir. I can't. Why? Why? I don't have anybody to put me to the pool when the water bubbles up. Somebody else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus says, do you want to be healed? What does the man immediately begin to do? Make excuses. I can't. Somebody else's fault. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know where I've been. You don't want kind of what life. Here's the thing you need to understand. Jesus didn't ask the man, why haven't you been healed? Jesus said, do you want to be healed? Not why. Well, tell me your life. Tell me your life story. No, no, no. Do you want, here's what I'm here to ask. Do you want to be healed, Jesus says. And the man says, I can't. 
Don't have anybody help me. Somebody else always beats me in the pool. And I love Jesus' response because Jesus really could have responded a few different ways. He could have said this, okay, I, I hear you. What, hey, Peter, Peter, come here, come here. I want you to stay with this man right by, do not leave his sight. The moment that water bubbles, listen, even if it looks like it bubbles, I want you to throw him in. Just throw him in. He's either going to drown or be healed. One of the two. He could have said that. He could have said, hey, you know what? That's a long time, 38 years. What brought you to this point? Let me hear the backstory. Let me hear what's going on. What brought you? How'd you get here? He could have done that. He could have said, hey, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, man. It's a long time to be on this two-by-four mat. I'm going to, in our ministry fund, I'm going to, to, we're going to buy you a a Sealy Posturepedic two-by-four mat because I want you to be comfortable in your mess. But I find a lot of people would would rather be made feel comfortable in their mess than actually to be healed. Mm, Let's go on. I love this. I love this this guy's hopelessness or lack of faith or whatever. It doesn't throw Jesus off at all. Doesn't offend him. Doesn't bother him. This man is proof of what I have said over and over. Jesus loves you right where you are, but Jesus will not leave us where he finds us. Are you hearing me? He will not leave us. Jesus loves you right in the middle of your mess. He loves you right in the middle of your addiction. He loves you right in the middle of that sin. He loves you right in the middle of your pain. He loves you right where you are. But he also loves you so much that he refuses to leave you right where you are. We're so good. I didn't say this. I'm going to take a moment here because... Jesus will meet us right where they are. Well, what kind of Savior would he be? If he met us right where we are, beaten, bruised, bloody, but then just left us there. What kind of Savior is that? Is that what he did to the, to, to the man that was found on the side of the road of the good, with the good, through the Good Samaritan? I mean, what if the Good Samaritan come along and said, man, you look bad. Let me bandage you up. Okay, I got you. You good? You good. All right, I'm going to go on my way. But we think that's what Jesus does to us when we get saved. No. What did the good Samaritan do? Hey, dude, let me bend you up. But also, I'm going to put you on the back of my donkey. I'm going to carry you to a place where you can get all the way better. I'm going to put you, and then you know what? I'm going to send somebody to you to pray for you. Right, you're, you're going to be healed. You're going to be delivered. And here's the thing. That's what Jesus, Jesus does. He loves us so much. He will not leave us where he finds us. The third thing you need to know, if I can get Bubba to come on up. You, every one of you, are on a collision course with the reckless love and extravagant grace of God. And let me tell you, you will not survive the impact. Some of you thought you were here today by coincidence or just because it's what you do. It's Sunday or to get somebody off your back. But no, you're here because you've been on a collision course your whole life with a reckless, 
amazing grace of God. And can I tell you, I know from experience, one collision with God can change everything. Everything. Jesus comes to this man and says, do you want to be healed? The man says, I don't have anybody to help me. And Jesus doesn't even respond to that. I love it. Look, look what Jesus says, verse 8. Jesus said, stand up, pick up your mat, walk. It's like Jesus said, listen, listen, I didn't ask you why. I don't know what brought you here. Do you want healed? This is what you, if you want healing, here's what you got to do. Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. I love this because that word, the stand up, when you look at the original, it's actually one word. And get this, here's what it means, what Jesus was saying. Arouse from your sleep, arouse from death, to wake up, to recall the dead to life, to stir up. Jesus was saying, hey, get up out of your dead state. Get up out of your sleep. Rise up, rise up. Jesus is speaking life over this man. It's not something new for Jesus. He spoke life into the dead body of Lazarus. He spoke life into a man's withered hand. He spoke life into Jairus' Jairus's daughter who was dead. And Jesus says, stand up. Pick up your mat. Pick up your mat. Up to this point, this man's world had been this two-by-four man. I would say that over the course of 38 years, this man had become become kind of a security blanket for him. What do you mean? I mean, I can't rely on people, but I can rely on this man. This man's never lied to me. This man's never let me down. This man's never broke my trust. This man's never broke my heart. It ain't much, but at least it's there. stand up and I'll just stand up he said I want you to throw away that crutch that routine that thing you've got used to living in because you can't continue to lay on your security blanket and experience the newness I have if you want the new you've got to let go of the old for some of you your anger has become your security blanket your hurt, your pain has become your security blanket. What happened a year to you years ago has become your security blanket. And I'm not trying to downplay what may have happened to you in your past or the hurt. But there comes a time when if you really do want the new, you've got to let go of the old. I think what Jesus is doing here is saying, listen, today, if you want to be healed, it all changes today. I'm giving you a new lease on life. And he says, stand up, pick up your mat, and then what? Walk. In other words, start moving forward. Start moving away from that old way of life. Start moving away from those past habits. Start. See, a lot of us, we want to get healed, but then we never walk. We hang out close to those areas that trapped us for so long and then we act surprised when we find ourselves trapped by them again. He says, hey, hey, you want to heal? 
three things. Stand up, pick up your mat, walk. Walk. What happens? Look at verse 9. Instantly, the man was healed. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. And then revival broke out in the area, right? No. You would think so. Guy been laying there for 38 years. Everybody pretty much knew his story. He gets healed. You think, hey, revival breaks, breaks out. No. It's not happened. Because the miracle that just occurred happened on the Sabbath. Religious are more upset that somebody is healed on a Sabbath day. They're more upset about that than they are excited that a man was healed on the Sabbath day. And instead of being excited, they say, hey, who told you that you could carry that man? The man's like, I, I didn't catch his name, but I just know he healed me. I didn't catch his name, but you know what? He did for me more and for me in a moment with him than the 38 years you've been passing by me as you walk in here. This man's genuine love and grace did more for me than your religion that you've been spouting for 38 years has ever done for me. He said, he healed me. He moved towards my brokenness when you moved away from it. Instead of them rejoicing, the man that had been lame for 38 years, they get mad and say, the law doesn't allow you to carry your mat on the Sabbath. Can I tell you, there wasn't a single law that said he couldn't carry, you couldn't carry your mat on the Sabbath. It was a law they had decided to make a law. And when you become more spiritual than God, you're too spiritual. Are you hearing me? Anyway, later on, Jesus runs back into this man in the temple, and then Jesus tells this word. Jesus tells the guy, 13, verse 13, Now you're well. Stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. So you can read a lot into what Jesus told this man, but here's what I think Jesus is saying. You thought your crippledness was your problem. That wasn't the real problem. I came to do more than just heal withered or broken bodies. I came to do more than just heal withered or broken hands. I came to heal withered and broken people and their lives. And your life, if it does not change direction, if you don't do some changing in your life, you're going to find yourself in a place a whole lot worse than this 38 years of crippleness that you were in. She says, stop. Stop. Hundreds gathered at the pool that day. Jesus heals this one man. And, and if you read the story, this man later on later on throws Jesus under the bus. Well, I, let me tell you, it was that, yeah, that Jesus, he's, that's where he's at. Here's why I think a couple things come to mind. The story was never about this man. Is about God's love and what he will do to pursue you. He will walk into the middle of a mess empire to seek you out. 
He will walk into whatever situation you're in to seek you out, even if that means you rejecting him one day. You've heard me make this statement here many times. And I see it's a true statement. I believe Jesus walked into that place, healed that man, because he wanted us to know that every number has a name. Every name has a story. And every story matters to the heart of God. The last point of the day. You need to know this. The Father is still working. When the religious leaders confronted Jesus about him performing this healing on the Sabbath, look what Jesus told them. But Jesus replied, My father is always working, and so am I. My father's always worked. If my father sees broken, he can't help but move toward the broken. It doesn't matter what day of week it is. He's going to move toward the broken. If my father sees the pain, he's going to move toward the pain. And guess what? When he does, so do I. I'm here to tell you, Jesus said, my father's working and so am I. I'm here to tell you, church, the father is still working. You, I'm telling you, you need healing, the father's still working. You need peace, the father's still working. You need joy, the father's still working. You need forgiveness, the father is still working. Stand with me across this room. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. 